So if you have a Bible, turn to James chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So in those two verses, James is talking about the, the wanderer and that we are really called to be restores, to bring them back. And, and one of the lines in our culture that's really popular is not all those who wander are lost. I mean, this line you can find almost everywhere. It's, it's loved by the adventurers and the climbers. It's loved and, and it's quoted on mugs and art pieces. It's tattooed on people's bodies and, and even written on jewelry. That, that not all those who wander are lost. And it's just this intrigue of adventures out there. But the interesting thing about this line is that almost regardless of its, of its origin, we've taken it horribly out of context. And so this line is actually from a poem written in J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, book in his fantasy novel, The Lord of the Rings. And in The Fellowship of the Rings, this is a poem titled, All That is Gold Does Not Glitter. And it's in reference to a character in here who would later be king. And the poem reads, All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadow shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. So that that second line there that we've just kind of taken it and made for a purpose of adventuring is really the is emphasizing the importance of the ranger. So this character in here, Aragorn, in J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, book here, is referencing this, and, and it's really this view that, that the wanderers here that he's talking about are those that actually protect and redeem those from evil. So it's, it's this whole different purpose, this second line that we've made for the purpose of adventuring, the purpose of going out and, and having fun is a completely different context of what it was written in. And so we've made this idea of being a wanderer a really good thing, but the difficult truth for us, what James shares with us here, is that being a wanderer is someone who's walked away intentionally from the truth. And, and this is quite lonely, I mean, culturally, how we really see it is we think of the wanderer as the adventurer, the independent, and the free. We we think of that in these terms, but the interesting and really sad truth is that we are more connected than we have ever been with more people than we have ever been. And even though it's easier to find people with these common interests and these common likes than there ever has been, we feel more alone and more unknown than any other time in history. We feel more alone and more unknown than any other time in history because the wanderer stands alone. This is what we almost see as the appeal, but but what James is saying scripturally for us to understand in proper context of the wanderer is that the wanderer is one who is isolated and has really walked away from the faith, walked away from the fellowship of the believers and the body of Christ. And so what scripture tells us is that we are called to be restorers, not, not wanderers, but we're called to be restorers because this is at the heart of God. 
This is the heart of God, which he set before us in the perfect example of Jesus Christ, where he restored us to our relationship to God the Father through the work that he did on the cross. And so what James does right here is he brings, as, his, as he brings his letter to a close, he's really stressing the importance of restoring those who are wandering from the truth. And this responsibility, just so we understand as James is writing this, he's not just giving this as a responsibility to a few key people in the church, but to all in the church. So all of us together are called to be the restorer. This is the responsibility of all believers by the Father through Christ to us. So as we unpack our text this morning, our two short verses, what we see is really three things in the restore. If you and I are gonna go out and be restorers to those who are wandering, there's really three things we need to understand about the restorer. Because the restorer understands their life is an example. The restorer understands their life is an example. Do you remember those bracelets back in the 90s that uh, the kids would wear WWJD? Those little bracelets that were really popular. Some still wear them today because they're hipsters and they want to keep it in as a thing. there's There's a good truth there. There's a good point. What would Jesus do? in that bracelet. But I, but I really believe the question we really need to ask is, how would Jesus live? How would Jesus live? Because asking this question is going further. It's going beyond repeating and memorizing the words of Jesus. This means living our lives like Jesus. So, so it's not behavior, but heart change. So what would Jesus do really asks for us to shift our behavior. But if we're going to ask, how would Jesus live and then live according to that, then that means there's a heart change. There's a deeper challenge. So our lives are the greatest example to the one who has wandered. That's the greatest example that we can give and that we can extend because it's not our words alone, but our actions towards others in showing them how we seek Christ, how we live for Christ. And in week four of our series, we talked about faith and works. And James said in chapter two, in those verses between 14 and 26, that works are the outward proof of our conversion to others, to other people, and that they are the natural outcome of being faithful to God. And so what that means is we are saved by faith for good works in Christ. And what we looked at is that those who really desire to live like Christ, delight in the Lord and walk in a type of discipline that really leads them not not to a behavioral modification, but more genuinely loving God and loving his people. But, But the truth and the reality is, is that our lives are busy, We have things going on and people are difficult, right? You can say it. You can be honest. People are difficult sometimes. You're looking at your own spouse and you're going, I believe that to be true of you. But so don't do that. Don't look over at that, at that person. But I I think there's a reality there that sometimes we feel that the angst, the difficulty of stepping into relationship with people. 
But the answer in this difficulty, as we look at one another, not, not just those in this room, but, but other believers, those who are not here, those that have wandered, and even those outside of our circle of believers in our community, the answer to this, to, to stepping into loving God and loving his people is not trying to make it work by sitting down with someone you don't really like, because that's what God would do, but to fall more deeply in love with Christ. It's not you faking it perfectly as a perfect little Christian. It's about you learning to fall more deeply in love with Christ because the more that you do that, the more that you begin to see those like he does. Because when our hearts are transformed, not just our behavior, but when our hearts are transformed by the gospel, we begin to walk and love and live like Christ. And what that causes us to do is to move towards others like Christ does. Not like we would, but like Christ does. So then how we live, how we're viewing, how we're responding to everything is in light of what Christ did for us. And so we've talked about this before. It really means that our gospel living model is in, is in three things, that we, we look at everything with three examples, reject receive, redeem. So what we step into, how we respond, how we view others, how we view culture, and how we approach our living is in those three examples. Is this something that that God would reject? Is this not of God? Is this not holy? Then, Then we reject that. Is this something we can receive? We take in as is, this is good, and this is from God. Or is, or is this something that is redeemable? For example, there are many times where music has been played on this street of Metcalf, where guitars and drums have been played in the bars to play music under the glory of man. And this morning, we take these instruments and we redeem them to bring glory to God. We engage in this, in this way of redeeming. And so what that means is, is for us to understand that our life is an example, then that means everything that we step into, we weigh it against that example. Is this something I need to reject? Is this something I can receive? Or, or is this something that needs to be redeemed, that God desires to redeem? And not for our own glory, but gospel redemption is for the glory of God. And so our lives are the perfect example because of Christ And the restorer understands this. And also, we see that the restorer moves towards the wanderer in love. That the restorer moves towards the wanderer in love. And what James tells us to do here is one of the most difficult things God has asked us to do as believers. That as followers of Christ, that our responsibility is to help restore the wanderers to the truth. And as James is writing to the church, remember, he's not writing to non-believers, but to believers. And he knows that there are some in the church that have really made a profession of faith, but they're not genuinely saved. And so it's this group of people in the midst of here, or even the wanderers who know a lot about Jesus, but, but don't know Jesus. You tracking with me? They know a lot about Jesus, but they do not genuinely know him in personal relationship. And so this really fits with the overall theme that James is making throughout this whole book and throughout our whole study that he's emphasizing that true saving faith is not just to make a decision. It's not just 
by our words. I believe in Jesus, but that true saving faith results in a life of good works in Christ. It's us putting feet to our faith. But if we're to move towards the wandering believer that's really strayed from the gospel truth, then we need to move towards them in love. Move towards them in genuine love. Not always how you and I think. Not, not a type of love that's kind of the Hollywood hot pink love. Not the emotional build up, but the type of love that says, I have seen the ugly parts of you and I'm staying. I have seen the ugly parts of you and I'm gonna engage you in relationship. I've seen the parts of you that you don't even like and I'm gonna engage in relationship with you. This is at the heart of our God. I mean, the verse that all of us could quote blindly but so easily forget is the verse that gives such a beautiful, robust truth of the gospel in John 3, 16 and verse 17. I mean, think of how these words affect our living, affect approaching the wanderer, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's so easy for us to just skim over those words, to just read them and and move on. But how much more does it sink in when we say that in the context of ourselves? For God so loved, and fill your name in there. For God so loved, fill in the blank of the one who's wandered, that he desires for them to come back to him. I mean, one of the most incredible parts about these verses is that we see this type of love that God has for us where it's not because we've moved towards him, but because he has moved towards us that we are saved. And so out of this, one of the greatest examples for me in in experiencing God's love is, is in fatherhood. I mean, it it has been one of the most incredible examples of God's love because even before my son has done anything, before he even wakes up in the morning, before he was even here, I I loved him. I chose him. And so he hasn't contributed in any way. He hasn't helped clean or or cook. He's not bringing to the financial needs of our family. He, He doesn't even communicate all that well. I mean, right now I say, I love you. And he's like, there's no communication that's very clear. But I love him deeply, regardless of what he's doing. And and I desire to move towards him as his father. That's the type of love that our God has for us, that he has towards the wanderer. And so moving towards this person, moving towards the wanderer, the, the believer, the, the brother, the sister is the love, not based on what they've earned or what they have deserved, but what they don't deserve, meaning what they need. And so for us to move toward the wanderer in love is, is not in a way of how we would approach love physically, culturally, but how God approaches love how God approaches it. So before they've done anything, seen all of the ugly parts of them, the way that maybe even messy that they've walked away, we, we step into that for gospel reconciliation. Saying, I see the ugly parts of you and I'm staying because that's what our God does. So the restorer moves towards the wanderer in love. And then finally, the restorer trusts 
And the restorer trusts in Christ's completed work. Not, not in their own work, but in Christ's completed work. See, our work in restoring the wanderer is all about the gospel truth being modeled and communicated. But it's never our work that saves them. Hear me on this, church. It, it, it's not you who is responsible for their salvation. We play a part in this. But, but this kind of thinking, if we're, if we're thinking that it's our responsibility, the one who saves them, then this kind of thinking is, is almost a dangerous falling into false religion where we're trying to do better and save more. This is why the incentive in youth ministry is such a terrible incentive of bring friends and we'll give you stuff. This is why in churches, this, this type of incentive is, is cultural. It's not biblical because God holds the responsibility of that. God holds the credit for that. So let me remind you and encourage you of this truth. You're not the point. You're not the point. Your robust knowledge is not the point. God has not put all his chips in on you and he has not put the kingdom in your hands as though all of his hope relies on your ability to perform. It's not about you. So those of us that claim to be followers of Christ are never to be perfect examples of being awesome. And what I've said to you time and time again, almost to a point of annoyance for you probably, is that you're not awesome. Christ is. And so what that does is that frees us from an expectation that here's all I have to do. No, no, no. It's not about your perfection. It's not about your performance. It's about our faithfulness us imperfectly moving towards the God who moves towards us in gospel living. And Timothy Keller in his book, Gospel in Life, just has an incredible example of this language of the Christian believer. And I shared this back in week three, and I just wanna read it to you again. He says, a merely religious person who believes God will favor him because of his morality and respectability will ordinarily have contempt for the outcast. I worked hard to get where I am, and so can anyone else. That is the language of the moralist's heart. I am only where I am by the sheer and unmerited mercy of God. I am completely equal with all other people. That is the language of the Christian's heart. A sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in, de- in deeds of mercy to the needy is the inevitable sign of a person who has grasped the doctrine of God's grace. See, this is a different language and understanding than just religious talk. This is a different living this is a language of someone, someone who's really grasped and fully understands the gospel, fully understands God's grace. And so it's trusting in God, not ourselves. It's trusting in his work through Christ, not just our work, not our work at all, trusting in his work, not in our perfection and in our progress, but his and what he's doing in us and through us and what he is doing in our community and in the wanderer. I think there are two verses in, in 1 Corinthians 3 that I always go back to that just have kind of sunk into my heart and given me clarity and, and, and a lot of peace when it comes to being the restorer. That Paul, in the midst of a divided church in the church in Corinth, he tells the church in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 and 7, 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So in these verses, Paul is not addressing non-believers or new believers. He's calling out the immaturity among the believers who are divided, choosing leaders and acting like they have it all together. And so this is how the church was acting in Corinth. And this is even how the church was acting in James's context, where there's this appearance of maturity, but there's really immaturity. So there's, there's not an actual depth of Christian maturity. And if we were to look deeper, we would see that there's only a surface level. So we have people who know a lot about Jesus, but they do not genuinely know Jesus. So for us to be walking in mature relationship with Christ so that we can step out into this world being firmly planted, not in ourselves, but in Christ. It's stepping into the role. It's for the purpose of stepping into the role of of maturity in Christ, walking in relationship with one another, and walking towards, moving towards the wanderer. And so let's just remember, church, that A little kid in a pool is cute, but a 40-year-old man in a kiddie pool is gross, okay? So when it comes to our need for maturity, we need to move out of the shallow end and we need to go deep. For, For us to understand all of these things is the restorer, it's not on you. And the mature believer has confidence in this. It's, it's not about me managing my schedule of who am I evangelizing, who am I not, but how am I more genuinely walking in relationship with God in such a way that it moves me towards the wanderer. So remember, we're to help by being restorers to the wanderer who has wandered from the truth, but, but it's not on us alone. We are not the creator. We are not the sole responsible party. So I think this is really important for us to understand that as we grow in maturity, it helps us more genuinely understand who's leading this. Who is the creator? Who is the one who is calling these wanderers towards him? One of the greatest examples of this, knowing that only God gives the growth, is before I got into building things with wood, my brother-in-law, Jeremiah, helped me build a standing desk for my old office in Mount Vernon. And when he built it, I just was kind of in awe in the process, uh, just all of the things. He, he built it very strong. It was unique. It had a lot of character. I mean, we used more heavy wood because you know a heavy desk is what a man has. And, and it was just the way he built it, and he built it, it with such uh, confidence, and, and he knew how to use these tools. And, and then I remember staining it and putting it all together. And when people would come over, they thought it was the coolest thing ever. He built a whole stool and, and this standing desk that, that held everything. And, and people just thought that was the coolest desk. But when people would come up, no one would ask, hey, hey what kind of saw did Jeremiah use? Can I see the nail gun? Can, can I see the, the, the blade that he used? What kind of nails were those? But what they would ask is, I, I'm gonna tell Jeremiah how great that is. I, I, wanna, I, I wanna ask him if he'd make me one. 
They would, they would tell him, what you built was great. So, so let me tell you this, church. No one is after the tools. They wanna meet the creator. So, so don't bank so much on yourself that you miss the point of being the restorer. Because we play a role in this, but, but we are not the one who gets the credit. So we are tools in the hands of our creator. And, and, and in and of ourselves, we have limitations to our creativity. I mean, we can only create as sub-creators. And even then, our work is only sub-creation because we are creation, but he is creator. And so our role as the restorer is that with our hope and our trust completely in Christ, we point people to him, not to ourselves, but to him, the author and the perfecter of our faith that as they genuinely experience him, they would fall deeply in love with him and together we would move as restorers towards wanderers, covering, as James says, a multitude of sins. Let's pray.